It's officially December. Christmas time. You are now free to actually enjoy Christmas. Before you were not. It was obnoxious and rude. It was disrespectful to Thanksgiving, but now you're okay. Stephanie and I got a tree yesterday, hung up the tree. The tree is about this tall. What? It is a green tree. Are there other ones? What? Naturally white? Oh. Now, we got a real tree. I'm not going to get a fake tree. That's just not whatever. But hey, so for the month, shh, shh, I know I started that. That's my fault. Anyway, hey, for the month of December, everyone listen up real quick. We are going to be all together for the month of December, and we're all going to be in this room each Sunday. Um, and we're going to go over something called the wisdom literature. Does anyone know what the wisdom literature is? I know I'm taking your intro. Fine. But this is a, okay, we'll explain it. But this is a um, series that Cameron and I have been writing, working on for a few months. So we're going to look at the books of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Um, but I'll let him introduce it, and then I'll get the video geared up. Cool? Work. All right. I hate uh, mics. So. Thank you. <clears throat> so I absolutely, shut up. So I absolutely hate using these things, but my voice is all screwed up. Um, so I'm gonna have to deal with it. But uh, so yeah, Taylor kind of stole a part of my intro, uh, which is how I was gonna transition into what I was supposed to say. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, we've been working on this for a while and I'm actually kind of excited about it. This is one of my favorite things um, and favorite parts about scripture. Uh, but if you didn't know, one of the most interesting things about the Bible, or one of the greatest things about the Bible, is that it is a collection of different literary genres. <clears throat> and these include, uh, you know, narrative, poems, love poems, uh, something really weird like apocalyptic literature, which is what the book of Revelation has. Um, I don't normally like dealing with it, but if that's your thing, whatever. Um, <clears throat> But one that we're going to be specifically looking at is what Taylor said is the wisdom literature of the Bible. Um, uh, the different genres of the Bible offer us different ways of interacting with them. Um, in other words, uh, different genres in the Bible uh, require different means of communication. So there are three different ones. Uh, law of the Bible can kind of be looked at. Um, do you have the slides up? Okay. So... <laughs> So the law in the Bible, which is kind of like the Ten Commandments, can be understood in terms of thou shalt and thou shalt not. Yeah. And it's kind of like the do's and don'ts of the Bible. It's what the Ten Commandments consist of. It's what the book of Leviticus is. Um, prophecy can be understood as kind of thus says the Lord, or the Lord says this. Um, the prophets are used for that all throughout the Old Testament to prepare ways for the people of God to hear what the Lord has to say, new things that are coming. Um, but then, uh, wisdom literature is a little bit more complex, um, and I did not have this memorized, so I'm going to have to read it. This is as, this is as far as we could condense it. It's still very long. The collective insight of the experiences of God's people throughout the generations. So the things that God's people have learned, um, through many years and many generations have been passed down to us in the scriptures, 
in uh, the wisdom literature. <clears throat> and the wisdom literature consists of three different books, and those are Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Um, we'll look at each of these specifically in the coming weeks for this month of December. Um, but all of these have different authors, they have different points of view, different perspectives, but they all seek to answer one question, and that is, oh, I skipped ahead, didn't I? Yeah. Anyways, they all seek to answer one question, and that is, what does it mean to truly live the good life? So what are we as God's people supposed to do in living the good life? How are we supposed to live? <clears throat> all three of these books also have different uh, perspectives, um, and Proverbs when Taylor comes up, I think you're talking about it today, right? Proverbs. So when Taylor comes up, you'll notice uh, as he's talking about it that wisdom in the book of Proverbs is personified as this young, brilliant teacher who is willing to give her wisdom to anyone who is willing to listen and to understand and to seek it out. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes kind of takes the, uh, it picks up what Proverbs kind of leaves off um, and it takes the personification of a sharp middle-aged critic. He's not very comfortable to read. Um, Ecclesiastes is kind of a tough book to take on, to tackle. But uh, the point is that your worldview would kind of be changed and challenged. And if you're not, um, if you're not uncomfortable, then that's, you know, the point is of Ecclesiastes is to be uncomfortable. So that's okay. Um, and the book of Job kind of ties both Proverbs and Ecclesiastes together. And, of course, everybody knows who Job is, or everybody should know who Job is. Um, the whole book uh, takes on his life and things that he's going through. Um, he loses everything, and then uh, God kind of tells him and shows him at the end why and why these things are happening to him. Uh, but we'll look at each of these in the coming weeks specifically. Um, but before I leave and before Taylor comes up to talk about Proverbs, uh, we want you guys to get in groups of three to five people, something like that, and discuss amongst yourselves uh, what does it mean to truly live the good life? And then another question we want you guys to discuss as well is uh, culturally, what does it mean to live the good life? What does society say the good life is? Um, so we want you guys to break up in groups, three to five people, and discuss that amongst yourselves, and you can do that now. Wow. All right. I'm going to, I want to hear some of uh, how you guys answered this question. Go ahead and cut the music for me, Cameron. All right, boys, come back over here. I guess I'll start with your table. What did you, how did you guys answer that question? What does it mean to truly live the good life? Yeah, what would you say the cultural way is, Katie? Money. Okay. All right. So kind of being successful in all those areas. Anyone else want to have any comment on the cultural idea of the good life? Connor? What? Oh, that's good. You create your own path. Kind of this like individualistic, I can, I'm my own authority type thing. That's what it means to live the good life. That's good. Any other comments on that? I think that's that's right on. So what it, what do you guys think? Uh, same kind of hinted on it there. But what do you think should be the definition of the good life? 
Or how would you kind of summarize it? You guys have a good one? Jesus? (laughs) Was that Jax? Jack, are you, is this serious? Okay, well, I will just leave that one out there. So basically what we're going to see with the book of Proverbs is an answer to that question. What does it mean to truly live the good life? It's going to try to summarize that for us. So we're going to watch this video from the Bible Project. should be right under their PowerPoint there. And uh, then we'll jump into some more detailed looks into it. There are three books in the Bible that have come to be called the wisdom literature, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And all of these books are addressing the same set of questions. What kind of world are we living in? And what does it look like to live well in this world? So how to be good at life? Yeah. So each of these books tackles these questions from a unique perspective. And it's important to understand all of them to get a fully biblical perspective on the good life. So as a thought experiment, you could actually imagine each of these books as a person. So Proverbs would be like this brilliant young teacher, and Ecclesiastes the sharp middle-aged critic, and Job would be this weathered old man who's seen a lot in his day. We're going to start by meeting the book of Proverbs, the brilliant young teacher. And she's not just smart, she's smart about everything, work, relationships, sex, spirituality. She has incredible insights things you wouldn't see on your own. Yeah, she would be the perfect friend to have around when you need really specific advice. So what makes her so smart? Well, Proverbs can see things that most people don't see. She believes that there's an invisible creative force in the universe that can guide people in how they should live. And you can't see it, just like you can't see gravity, but it affects everything that we do. So what's this force? Well, in Hebrew, it's called chokhmah, And it usually gets translated into English as wisdom. It's an attribute of God that God used to create the world. And chokmah has been woven into the fabric of things and how they work. So wherever people are making good or just or wise decisions, they're tapping into chokmah. And whenever someone's making a bad decision, they're working against chokmah. Right, or as it says in Proverbs chapter 1, the waywardness of fools will destroy them, but the one who listens to wisdom lives in security. So it's like a moral law of the universe. Yeah, it's a cause-effect pattern, and no one can escape it. And Proverbs personifies all of this as a woman. Yeah, Lady Wisdom. Right, and she roams around the earth calling out, making herself available to anyone who's willing to listen to her and to learn. Which leads to the second thing Proverbs believes, that anyone can access and interact with wisdom and use it to make a beautiful life for yourself or for others. You can create with it like a designer. Yes, in fact, chokmah in Hebrew isn't simply intellectual knowledge. The word is also used to describe a skilled artisan who excels at their craft, like woodworking or stonemasonry. So you show you possess chokmah when you put it to work and develop the skill of making a good life. Okay, that makes sense. So let's do this. Let's go find some wisdom. But before you do, Proverbs has one more really important thing to consider. Chokmah isn't some impersonal force. It's an attribute of God himself. And so in Hebrew thought, your journey to becoming wise has to begin with what Proverbs calls the fear of the Lord. It's this healthy respect for God's definition of good and evil. And true wisdom means learning those boundary lines and not crossing them.
Now, all those ideas you just unpacked are in chapters one through nine in Proverbs. But when I think of the book of Proverbs, I think of the collection of sayings, the Proverbs themselves. Tell me about those. Yeah, those are what you find in chapters 10 on to the end of the book. It's a collection of hundreds and hundreds of proverbs about any and all aspects of life. And chokhmah gets applied to them, resulting in this wise guidance to help you find a path towards success in no matter what you do. If I design my life with these sayings, life is going to be good. Yeah, or as Proverbs puts it, it'll give health to your bones, prosperity, a long, rich life. Which is a really big claim. But you can see how it's often the case. Wise people, they tend to do better. Things usually work out well for them in life. And so that is the promise and the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is really beautiful. But if we take a step back, some people would argue it's a little too simplistic. Because sometimes horrible things happen to really wise people, and sometimes foolish people get rewarded. It doesn't always work the way we think it should work. That's right. Which is why we need to go and listen to our next wise friend, Ecclesiastes the Critic. Because he's wrestled with that very problem, and he's going to push us further in our journey to find the good life. All right. Go ahead and grab a notebook if you got one. Take some notes. Um, this will be some good info for you guys, um, especially with the book of Proverbs. I'll say this right off the bat. There's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. A lot of people, have you ever heard of them like reading a proverb a day? Well, it's like December 2nd. So this would be a really good opportunity. If you wanted to read a proverb a day for the month of December, you could catch up very easily right now. So uh, maybe these will be some good notes for you, and then you could read Proverbs with uh, uh, some better insight or whatnot. But let's look at Proverbs here. What is a proverb? What does that word mean? Anyone know what the word proverb means? No? It's like a saying, like a quick saying that's usually giving some sort of um, truth or advice. And most of the book is made up of these sayings. That's where the name of the book comes from. All these quick sayings, and we'll read some portions to give you a flavor of that. But um, let's look at the context and the structure. The context, like Cameron said, is kind of this young, brilliant teacher, this kind of personification of a woman of wisdom, giving you advice, leading you down the path of what is good and what's wrong. And that's kind of the, the voice. It's just giving you clear descriptions of what is good and what is bad. The structure of the book has two main sections. You've got kind of the nature of wisdom. It's made up of these kind of these ten speeches of a father to his son. And then you have these lady wisdom poems that are talking about what the nature of shukma or wisdom is. But the main teaching of the book, the main answer that it gives for how to live the good life is this. Fear the Lord and keep his commands. Fear the Lord and keep his commands. That's what Proverbs' answer is to the good life. If you want to have a good life, if you want to live well in God's world, you will fear the Lord and keep his commands. And those are, those are related, like, causally. So, by fearing the Lord, you'll keep his commands. If you want to keep his commands, you will fear, fear the Lord. And we'll talk more about what that is. Um, but let's look at this section by section, okay? 
forgot all that. This is the nature of wisdom. The first big section of the book is talking about what is wisdom. And so we'll, we'll have an introduction. Then we see these ten father-son speeches. They begin with, like, my son, and then it's giving some advice. And then it's intermixed, and there are some poems by Lady Wisdom herself. Okay? So this is what we're looking at. Um, those references will be up on further slides if you want to get them down. But let's look at the introduction here, okay? This is the first lines of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So the first thing we see is that this is attributed to Solomon. You guys know Solomon, son of David. He was a king of Israel. I've just been in 1 Kings um, reading about Solomon. He had all this gold. He had all these wives. He built the temple. It was crazy, all this stuff. But one of the things that uh, Solomon was known for, and other people would kind of travel to see Solomon, was because of his wisdom. There's a story about, um, you guys may have heard this, this uh, these two women bring a baby to Solomon, and they both claim that it's their baby. They're like, this is, this is my baby, this woman's claiming that it's her baby. And so Solomon's there to sort it out. Do you remember, do you, does anyone know how he sorts it out? What does he say, Eric? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he, he suggests, I don't know if you heard, to cut the baby in half. And he's like, you have half, and the other lady has half. And the one lady who's, it's, that's not her baby, she's like, okay, fine. And the guy's like, <laughs> and Solomon's like, obviously this is not your baby, because the other lady was like, no, just give her the baby. Right? So it's just one of those illustrations of how Solomon is so wise. So this is attributed to him, Okay. And then we see to know wisdom and instruction. This is the purpose of the book. This is what the purpose of the book is. To know wisdom and instruction. To understand words of insight. To receive instruction in wise dealing and righteousness, justice and equity. To give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying the words of the wise, and their riddles. And then here's kind of the summary. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So we see that um, you have it attributed to Solomon. You see the purpose of the b book to impart, to give wisdom. And then you see the centrality of the fear of the Lord. Now, if you're going to understand wisdom... If you're going to receive wisdom, you have to understand the fear of the Lord. So what is the fear of the Lord? It's one of those Christian phrases we throw around, but we'll simplify it here. It's basically a healthy respect of God's authority to define good and evil. Okay? Sam was actually kind of hitting on this when he talked about how we as a society think of the good life as defining good and evil for ourselves and saying, this is what is good, this is what I should do, this is what... Um, is important or valuable. But having a healthy fear of the Lord means acknowledging and respecting that God has defined good and evil. And we, if we want to have a good life, we operate within those boundaries. So this is um, a moral mindset where I admit that I cannot define good and evil on my own terms. 
you cannot define good and evil. God has already defined those things. And so to, to fear him is to respect his commands, his definitions of good and evil. So that's the, the introduction here. We'll get into um, some of the ten father-son speeches. And throughout these speeches, what you're going to see, uh, we'll read one of them. Uh, what you're going to see is the moral logic of the book. Okay? Basically, as a father is giving these speeches to his son, he's saying, have a healthy fear of the Lord, have the right desires, and this will produce in you character, like virtue and integrity. And based on your character, this will lead to certain types of consequences. Like if you have virtue and integrity, your life will go well. If you have pride and selfishness, you'll be brought into calamity. It will lead to ruin and shame. So he does this both positively and negatively. He says if you seek wisdom, if you seek to have the fear of the Lord, this will build virtue in your life. And then that will lead to success and peace. We see, um, I'll let you guys write that down. And then uh, you see the opposite. He talks about the person who forsakes God's wisdom and how they build up virtues of selfishness and pride. They seek to define good and evil on their own terms. And this leads to their ruin and their shame, to calamity. So we see this, uh, we'll read a big section here of one of these father-son speeches. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity guarding the paths of the justice of, of justice and watching over the way of his saints. So with this, you saw it's like seek wisdom, store these things up, find it precious, find it valuable, actually pursue these things. God will give that to you. You'll build up integrity, and then God will guard your path. It's this moral logic of the book that you will um, have the right desires, which will lead to character, which will lead to consequences. And they also see this with negative ways, like a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet. I have no idea what that means. But a wicked person signals with their feet. Just remember that, okay? If you see anyone signaling with their feet, turn and go in the other direction. But this whole winking of the eye, Cameron and I, we looked up all the references of like winking in the Old Testament. And it's always, it's always like linked to people who are deceptive or who are sneaky, like people who wink. So watch out for the winkers because they are being sneaky or deceptive or whatnot. But this is basically what they're saying is this person who goes about being sneaky or deceptive, they have these crooked, wicked desires. With, with a perverted heart, he devises evil, continually sowing discord. And then what does he say? Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. So again, this is just the moral logic of the book. Desire creates character, which leads to certain consequences. This is most of what the first few chapters of Proverbs are getting at. The next portion we see, um, Lady Wisdom poems. 
And what this is, it's a personification. It's turning wisdom into a person as a woman, and she's calling out for people to seek her. Uh, We have an example of this. Proverbs 8. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of portals, she cries aloud. To you, O men, I call, and my cries to the children of men. O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. So you see wisdom being personified as this woman to actually call out and say, Come, learn from me. Learn wisdom. Learn insight. So here, what we're seeing is wisdom is something that is um, valuable for you to seek. Like, you need to value the pursuit of wisdom. You need to listen to the call to pursue wisdom. Like, what would it look like in your life if you actually pursued wisdom? If you responded to her call to actually learn learn from her and value her? Another thing that we see in these Lady Wisdom poems is that wisdom is the operating force of the universe. Wisdom is not simply knowledge. It's not simply um, knowing about things. It's this, it's this force that's actually been like woven into the fabric of the universe. It's kind of the cause and effect pattern that governs everything in God's world. And you see this kind of explained throughout the poems. It says, the Lord, this is the woman talking says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. He's talking about creation. Wisdom was there. God was um, working with wisdom. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. What is this person getting at here? It's getting at the fact that wisdom is part of the created order of God's universe. And I think this is something important because it tells us that wisdom is something you have to submit to. You can't operate in your own wisdom. You have to submit to wisdom. It's woven into the very fabric of the universe. You can't control it. It's something that God has Um, God has created and worked with. So uh, this is why the fear of the Lord is central to wisdom. This is why the fear of the Lord, respecting him and how he's designed things, is so important to wisdom because it's a respect of how God has created the universe. So uh, that's kind of the first section of the book. Chapters 1 through 9 is unpacking the nature of wisdom and through those speeches and the Lady Wisdom poems. But then we come to the operation of wisdom. This is where the book gets its name mostly because all of these sayings are put together um, in these last few chapters. So the first thing that we see 
is just a large collection of these short sayings and teachings, a large collection of the Proverbs. These show how wisdom ought to be applied to every area of your life. Every area is covered in this. So, let's, let's just get kind of a... Has anyone in here, like, read the whole book of Proverbs? Okay, so uh, some of you haven't. That's fine. And I just want to give you kind of a, a sense for what it's like or what this um, whole collection is like. Um, so I'm going to read chapter 18. Okay, so we'll just buckle down here and read chapter 18. So just, just notice how this covers every area of one's life, okay? Proverbs 18. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. I was talking about, you know, not being um, isolated or just a loner. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. When wickedness comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes disgrace. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. It is not good to be partial to the wicked or to deprive the righteous of justice. A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. That's a great verse. (laughs) It sounds like a bully. It's like, your lips are about to walk into a fight. Or like, your mouth is inviting a beating. <laughs> it's like this weird, I don't know. That's just a great verse. But, all, but notice, notice like all the different areas of life that he's talking about. And there's no real clear distinguishing order here. It's just a collection of these proverbs. A fool's mouth is his ruin. His lips are a snare to his soul. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. You see this just kind of random? It's just like these collections of sayings that are showing you um, how wisdom should apply to every part of your life. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit, who can bear? And this goes on and on and on and on and on. Right? It's just applying all of these areas of life to this principle of wisdom. And this is what we see here. Um, These things show how every area of our life should be taken under the, uh, the overall pattern of wisdom. But it's very important that we see this. These are giving probabilities, not promises. Okay? These are giving probabilities, not promises. These are proverbs that are simply saying that you can have a better life if you operate within the fear of the Lord, of how God has designed the universe. But they're not guaranteeing that you'll never struggle in life or that you'll never um, face suffering. These are giving probabilities, saying generally this is how this works. So it's, it's giving the general rule, but not the exceptions. It's saying, like, if you never lie, nothing bad will ever happen to you. Right? That's the general rule of life, the general cause and effect pattern of God's universe. But it's not giving the exceptions. Because we know bad things happen to good people sometimes, and good things happen to bad people. But 
the exceptions are reserved for the other books of the wisdom literature, like the book of Ecclesiastes and the book of Job. They note the exceptions. But right now, the book of Proverbs is giving the general rule. Does that make sense? So um, it's very important, then, that you read all three books of the wisdom literature as a whole because each of them offer a specific perspective or voice that is feeding the whole perspective of wisdom in the good life. So just for um, the sake of Proverbs, though, it's giving the general rule of, uh, of life. Um, then we find some really interesting things at the end of Proverbs. You find two closing poems. Um, Proverbs chapter 30 is a great chapter. You have this guy named Agur. I don't know how you pronounce that. Um, but this is, he speaks of how little he truly knows and how little he understands. This is what he says in verse 2. Surely I am too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. So Agor is this pitiful guy. He just, he's overwhelmed with how stupid he is. And this is the flavor of how the book of Proverbs is ending. He's, I'm too stupid to be a man. Because he's, he is uh, seeing how all this wisdom is working and how marvelous it is. But he's also recognizing that he can't know everything. He can't be all wise. So the, the end of Proverbs actually closes with this plea like, you'll never be wise enough. You'll never know everything the way you're supposed to. It goes through all these examples of creation. Like, do you understand how... Um, all these great ones. I don't have them listed. It's like, do you understand how a, a baby grows in a woman's stomach? Do you understand that? Do you understand how an ant can, um, can uh, all march in order without a king? It's, he, he goes on to say, like, you don't understand even the simplest things of creation. How are you going to understand God? How are you going to have that type of wisdom? And so basically what he asks, he asks God to keep him in a situation where he continually desires to seek God. He says, don't give me too much money because I'll get prideful and I won't need you. But don't make me so poor that all I'm worried about is getting food. He's like, just put me in a situation where I'm continually seeking you. And that's kind of the closing part of the poem is you won't understand God. You won't fully comprehend him. You won't fully grasp what his wisdom's all about. Just continue to seek him. Just continue to look to him. It's a great poem. And then you have Proverbs 31. All my ladies, Proverbs 31. You, gonna, you guys know the Proverbs 31, what it is? Um, well, it gets thrown around in our culture like you want a Proverbs 31 woman. A woman who, I think it's written on our chalkboard, isn't it? Is it? No? She's like clothed with dignity or something. I don't know. Um, but basically what this poem is, is this uh, son named Lemuel. And he's, um, he's speaking from the words and knowledge that his mother is giving him. So he's talking about wisdom and whatnot, but then his mother steps in and gives him all of these descriptions of a woman of noble character and attributes, and that that's the type of wife he should seek. And then that's how Proverbs ends, is, is this description of a godly woman. And I think what's so interesting about it is because this description of a godly woman is a woman who is operating with godly wisdom in every area of her life. What you see, and I don't have the full um, 
passage up for us to read it, but go back and read it. And what you see is this woman is operating with the fear of the Lord in every area of her life. That's what the definition of a godly woman is. And that's how Proverbs closes because it, it expresses the main point of the book, which is if you operate with the fear of the Lord, then you will have wisdom in, in all areas of your life. So that's kind of where the book of Proverbs ends. And again, it's setting up the general principle of the cause and effect pattern of the universe that leads you into Ecclesiastes in the book of Job. But it's very important that we pause here and we recognize, right, that all of Scripture is designed to do what? Point to Jesus. So what is what is the book of Proverbs telling us about Jesus? What is it leading us to understand about Jesus? The Apostle Paul talks about this a little bit, but he calls Jesus the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. So just understand, like kind of load up your mind with all these ramifications of what wisdom is, right? The operating force of the universe that leads to prosperity and that leads you to have a good life. And Paul says all of that is Jesus. Jesus is that. We see a great passage in 1 Corinthians. This is what Paul says. He says, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. So something's happening here. The wisdom of the world, the values, the definitions of good and evil of the world aren't in sync with the gospel and how God operated. So God revealed himself through folly, not through what is seemingly wise, but through what is against worldly wisdom. And he continues. He says, For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. So what I think Paul is getting at here is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, doesn't make sense in terms of wisdom. It doesn't make sense. It's foolish. In, in terms of cause and effect patterns that we observe in the universe, the gospel is not working with this cause and effect that we are so used to, right? We're used to our sin having a penalty to pay for it, and we have to pay for it. We, we are responsible for our sin. But the gospel comes in and says, Jesus was responsible for your sin, someone who didn't deserve it, someone who was perfect in everything and didn't deserve death. And that's not wise. That's not operating with the, the ways we would understand wisdom. But God is saying this is how he defines wisdom, Jesus so Jesus is the wisdom of God. If we want to understand how God has sought to govern his universe, if we want to understand how God's world works, then we need to understand Jesus. And in that, we see love, grace, mercy. That is how God has sought to govern the universe. 
So if you want to be wise people, you want to act more and more like Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. It's like, yes, you can try and live out all the Proverbs, and you can see something of the glimpse of how God has structured his universe, right? But if you really want to be wise, if you want to have the good life and God's good world, then you need, need, you need to live more like Jesus. He is the wisdom of God. So Proverbs gives us a great, great glimpse into how Jesus achieved that. Jesus was perfect on all of those accounts, and he gets to apply that to us, or he chooses in his grace to apply that to us um, if we have faith in him.